so we have some friends that are liveaboards on a yacht and they said, well, you, you own a boat. So no, I don't own a boat. I own a bus. He said, no, a boat's an acronym. Bring on another thousand. That's great. Oh yeah, that sounds about right. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 101 with Rob Shannon. Rob is here because he is going to tell us all about the pros and cons, the the glamour, the glory, and also the warts and the bruises and the scratches um, of living in a schoolie. Rob actually lives in a schoolie with his wife, five kids, and one dog, and they've been doing it for four years now, so they really have built up a lot of experience. I'll ask Rob what it costs to live in a schoolie per year, just in terms of maintenance, how they get space as a family and figure out how to do family activities that you would normally think maybe couldn't happen in a school bus. And if he could do it all over again, what changes he would make to their family school bus. It's a really great conversation, and I hope you stick around. But first, I'd like to tell you about the sponsor for today's episode, Tiny House Engage. Have you been working on planning or building your tiny house and feel like you want to connect with other people, get your questions answered, and just support each other along the way? Well, Tiny House Engage is the community for you. Tiny House Engage brings together tiny house hopefuls and DIYers to share plans and resources, learn from each other's challenges and mistakes, and celebrate our successes so that we can feel less alone while we build faster, safer, smarter, and cheaper tiny homes to embrace the tiny house lifestyle. Whether you're a tiny dreamer who is still figuring out all the systems, plans, and everything you need to go into your tiny house, or if you're actively building, Tiny House Engage has the resources and members to connect with for you. There are professional contractors in the community here to answer your questions about plumbing, electricity, and ventilation, and there's also plenty of interaction between members. If you need some encouragement or just need to know how someone else solved a particular problem, you'll get those answers in Tiny House Engage. I'm also very personally active in the community, answering questions and keeping an eye on things, so if you want to interact with me, this is a great place to do it. To learn more and register for Tiny House Engage, go to thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Registration is open today, Friday, March 6th, and it'll be open through next Friday or when we get 20 new members, whichever comes first. I can't wait to meet you in Tiny House Engage, and I know you'll love your new Tiny House community. All right, I'm here with Rob Shanep. Rob comes from a large family that wanted to go tiny. Four years ago, they bought a schoolie, moved in, and hit the road. Rob and Robin have five kids, one dog, and a whole lot of love in 250 square feet. Rob and Robin take responsibility for homeschool education, eating healthy, and helping others take financial responsibility for their lives. Rob Shanap, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ethan. Excited to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So I'm curious just to start out, um, where, where am I reaching you right now? So right now we are in Vista, California. Um, we are uh, I, we are in the school bus. You can tell by the kind of curved, 
bit here. So I'm I'm uh, back on our back bedroom. Um, yes, we even though it's a small space, we each have our own uh, bedrooms or at least our own bunks. So we are in Vista, California. It is sunny in February, and so it's a good place to be. Yes, I would imagine that's important for a school bus, which we can get into. Um, how long do you tend to stay in one one place? Well, we've been moving through different seasons. So for three years straight, we had no home base and were constantly moving anywhere from we'd stay in one place for maybe a week and then blow through a state in a matter of days. It was kind of depend upon a lot of different factors. The longest we stayed any place was a couple months on a farm in Waco. But uh, in the past year here, we've parked our bus uh, in the San Diego area. And we have family in the area. We found a good spot to be. And then we've transitioned from full-time traveling for three years to now we're stationary for about two months and then go off and vac- and travel around from come back stationary for two months, travel around. So we've kind of changed up the season. What made you decide to kind of change up the the rhythm of of schooly life? So there were a few different factors, one of which was our kids are getting a little bit older. Right. And so being around uh, grandparents and having just a little bit more stability to make sure that we actually do homeschooling um, became more important. Also, um, uh, I'm in financial services and some of my clients were referring more and more clients. And so it made sense to be stationary in a spot for and what what are the ages of your kids currently? Nine, seven, five, three, and eight weeks old. Eight weeks. Wow, congratulations. I didn't realize it was so recent. Yes, very recent. So uh, he is, so it goes boy, girl, boy, girl, boy. It's like flipping a coin. <laughs> exactly. He is our second uh, newborn that we've had in the bus. That's amazing. And now you have, you know, the nine-year-old is certainly, I would imagine, old enough to remember life before the bus. Yes. Yep. So he, he remembers a few of the houses that we were in beforehand. Um, our seven-year-old kind of does. Our five and three-year-old, this is, this is, this is all they've done. It's their life. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, what, what precipitated the move to going tiny? And, you know, why did you decide on a bus versus a stationary tiny house or a tiny house on wheels or, or something like that? Sure. So we it was it was about four and a half years ago and had a great job at a financial planning firm with great bosses, loved what I was doing. We were happy we're with where we were at. We actually owned a home in Orange County. And it was one of those things where if I had kept on the trajectory I was on, I would have probably ended up in a place I didn't want to be. In other words, I looked ahead and saw owning a large house in South Orange County and uh, driving a Maserati and, you know, kind of the, uh, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And just looking at that and thinking, okay, if, if that's the case, does that align with anything that I actually want? 
and it didn't. Uh, sorry, we've had a cold going through the bus. Uh, sicknesses go through buses pretty quick. And so I'm just uh, going to periodically clear my ears here. But um, that, that then begs the question, okay, what do we want? Where would we like to be? And we decided to solve that puzzle by actually hitting the road and checking out and spending time in lots of different places with lots of different people. And we bounced back and forth between a motorhome or uh, we, we knew we couldn't do a van. We, uh, at that point, we had three kids already. So uh, that was going to be a challenge. And we settled on a school bus because a school bus is designed to take a hit, roll over, and all 72 little toddlers come toddling. An RV is designed to be fuel efficient, which oftentimes means made of a lot flimsier material. Plus, to be honest, Pinterest was really in its heyday then, and there were several very sexy, fun-looking school buses. So there was kind of the aesthetic draw, too. Yeah, absolutely. And and school buses, um, they are surprisingly large on the inside. I mean, it's yeah. there's there's quite a bit of square footage there. Yes, we have uh we have a full open galley with a working kitchen, four bunks, a fully work functioning uh bathroom area, privacy back here uh with our bedroom, queen bed and even stand-up hanging closets. Nice. So the bus is obviously tall enough that you can stand in it no problem. So I can stand in it, no problem. Unfortunately, the one that we did get was a middle schooler's bus. So I can stand in it, no problem. If I wear my red wings and a baseball cap, that little top part starts to scrape against the top of the road. Okay. Yeah. So uh, like a high schooler's bus would be a little taller for the, for the taller if kids? If we did it again, a high schooler's bus, um, particularly a band bus, would be preferable because band buses have a lot more storage underneath. They also are geared for highway. Ah, yes. Understand. Yeah, that makes sense. So did you do the conversion yourself? So this is actually our third bus here. Hmm. Um, we bought a bus and immediately sold it to some friends uh, we were living with, or they, they were living with us, and we helped them convert that bus while we bought a second bus, and that was a very large one. It was actually a Prevo tour bus. That was big enough on the inside. You could do jumping jacks, play. <laughs> you could almost play basketball in it. I mean, there was plenty of room in there and lots of uh, storage underneath. The problem is, it was a bit like driving a commercial airliner down the street. It was terrifying to drive. There were switches that I still, even after owning it for four months, had no idea what they did. Um, and so we built it out, and then the first day that we moved it and drove to a campsite, we thought, we got to sell this bus. This is, this is too much. Um, plus, it was 45 feet long, so that gets you knocked out of a lot of national parks. A lot of national parks start to cap at around the 35-foot mark. And we're 36, 37, which if you round down is 35, so that's okay. But 45, there's just no hiding that you're too big for a lot of places. And our idea was not to live in a stationary thing. If we did, 
We might have stayed in a house. It was to travel around. So unfortunately, at that point, we'd sold our home. We'd moved out of our rental. Uh, we were living in that bus. So when we bought this bus, it had a kind of bare bones framework to it already. So I didn't have to go and start taking up the seats again. I didn't have to start from brand new. So we lived in it for about six months with its bare bones structure. And then after living in it for six months, we did a full remodel. So at this point, I have built everything in this spot. But I, I can't say you built it from scratch. How many, how many hours? I mean, I know this is kind of a random question. Like, how long does it take to build out a bus? A lot. It takes a lot of hours. Yeah. Uh, it also depends upon the scope of what you want to do. So a lot of people take out the, uh, the ceilings here to put in uh, their own insulation on the top. We checked out the insulation. The insulation in here was, was good. It wasn't moldy. Um, and I had already torn this out before on our friend's bus. And that alone was about a four-week project. Because both of us were working full-time at the time. So we'd come home from our nine-to-fives, eat dinner, spend time with kiddos. And then from about seven to midnight, every night, for about six months, we built out his bus. Wow. So yeah, so it's... It's a project. I usually tell people a tiny house on wheels is like 1,000 to 12 or 1,300 hours of work. It sounds like a bus is probably comparable, though you don't have to do any work on the outside. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's some interesting constraints with the bus. Like you have a, you have a frame that you need to build within. So is, some of it just takes time learning. Like, a, I have the technical uh, expertise of a gerbil. And so just trying to learn how to frame a wall in general for myself was tough. But then framing a wall with curvature and trying to figure out ways of, okay, so how do I account for that curvature and frame it? There's, there's just, there's some interesting constraints with the school bus. And even the materials of a school bus, usually they're old. So you have a lot of factory installed screws and steel that's not very forgiving. Right. So three buses in, um, are there any major features that you would change about your design or, or things that you do differently? So I used to think I would want a, because right now we have a, uh, an engine that pulls. And it makes it very loud when we're driving and very warm, which is nice in the winter, pretty miserable in the summer. But I'm from Tucson, Arizona, so I've got that kind of switch you can just turn off towards heat. But uh, makes it pretty warm. Um, I used to think I would want a, uh, a pusher, an engine in the back. Of recent, I've, I've kind of changed on that, though, because. Um, I now, we've had so much go wrong on this bus that I now uh, drive by listening to the engine, I'm listening to the engine the whole time. I can hear what's going on, I can smell what's going on. I actually like the engine up close to me. So that used to be my big thing is I would have wanted a pusher, but actually I'm pretty happy with the puller. The one thing I would want is highway gears. So ours is geared specifically for in city 
stop and go traffic. And we've driven across the country eight times, up and down mountains and on highways most of that time. So it would be fair to say that we have abused the engine and uh, transmission. And so that's, that's presented some problems. So that having highway gears would be probably the main feature I would want changed on. Interesting. Yeah, I've heard this. And for it to be a, sorry, and for it to be a Thomas high top. High top. Okay. Made for high schoolers. Got it. Got it. It's interesting because I've had um, Michael Fuhrer of Navigation Nowhere on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I, I think he actually mentioned the same thing about the transmission. I think he actually changed the transmission on his bus, um, which kind of blows my mind because I can't imagine working on something like this. Yeah. If this transmission goes out one more time, I'm going to do the same. Yeah. So actually, I was going to ask you, as a finance guy, you might be the right person to answer this. What have been your, like, what's your yearly maintenance cost? What do you budget for for bus maintenance each year? So I couldn't have budgeted out what our first year cost. Um, But it kind of put our backs up against the wall. So our very first year, we had to have an engine in-frame rebuild, our brakes replaced, and brand new transmission put in. And that set us back about 22000 our first year. Wow. So pro- probably way more than what you paid for the bus in the first place. Yes. But we were already living in it, had sold everything, and had nothing else to do. So yeah, like let's just fix it. Um, but past that, I, I I would budget, you know, if, if you're doing regular good maintenance on it, I would budget at least about 6000 or so. So try and set aside about 500 a month. You won't use the 500 a month, but during the year, if you're doing consistent travel just for maintenance, not gas, but consistent travel, it'd be, uh, if you budgeted about 6000 you'd have a surplus and feel good. If you budgeted less than that, you you might find yourself in a position where you wish you'd save. Um, just, it seems every, if you don't do the work yourself, every mechanic you take it to, uh, it just starts at about a thousand. Wow. Almost wh- whatever it is. So, so we have some friends that are liveaboards on a yacht, and they said, "Well, you you own a boat." So no, I don't own a boat. I own a bus. He said, "No, a boat's an acronym. Bring on another thousand. That's great. Oh yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's that's funny because I like when I was building the tiny house way back when I used to kind of make a mental note that that I could just never get out of the hardware store for under a hundred dollars. Like no matter what I went for, yeah. it always yeah. was like a hundred dollars or more. And so like in, in bus world, it's like increments of a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you know, as long as you just play by that game yeah, and you just know, you know, Hey, uh, if, if I need, uh, I, I mean, the tires on this thing alone are about 350 a pop. And yeah. you got to keep the tires going. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a commercial vehicle. It's mu- yeah. and it's it's just a different scale than a than a car. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to find mechanics? 
What's that? Is it difficult to find people who can work on buses? Um, no, you know, it's, it, you gotta get your research set at the very worst. You can always take it to a deal. So ours is, uh, our engine is an international engine. It's uh DT 466. So at the very worst, if I can't find a good crusty old bus diesel mechanic that just wants a project to work on, I can always find a dealership. And uh, we really haven't done that too much, but in a pinch, it's been helpful. Got it. Um, well, I want to shift back a little bit to sure. just your family and your life in the bus. Um, so with five, I'm, I'm, counting, I'm, I'm counting in my brain two sets of bunk beds, so four beds. Um, so I'm guessing that the, the baby sleeps probably in your room at this point, but w- yeah. what is your plan? Oh, plan-wise? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if, if you go to our Instagram account, you'll see uh, two bunks on each side going down. Um, we've got a bassinet just kind of over my shoulder here where the baby sleeps, but truthfully, baby, I, we usually have our baby sleep with us for the first year. So that basically that gives us a year to try and figure it out. We've got a few different ideas for retooling our bunk area and creating almost Murphy beds that pop down. It would make it a little less functional during the day but it would create more space for bunk beds. We may look at just different solutions at that point. I mean, we have been in a bus for four years. We may look at upgrading to a high top bus where we have more space up top and create, can create more of a cascade of uh, bunks going down. Our, yeah, we're in kind of a creative period right now. Nice. So you're, you're very willing to maybe do another bus and just, you know, if you need to. If I need to, yeah. Uh, it's a lot of work, and I would prefer not to, but uh, we're, we're open to it. Nice. And what about... We, we may go the tiny house route. Okay. Something on, on wheels as well, or are you thinking about, you know, doing something small? If, if we did a tiny house, it'd be a little more stationary. I think that's probably smart. Although you could probably tow something with your bus. That's true. That's true. And I know that we can and we're set up for it. But that first year of having the engine melt and the transmission going out soon after, that left me with a little bit of PTSD as far as taxing it too much. Yeah, that's uh, that's traumatic for sure. <laughs> it was. It was. Um, now, we still we still abuse this old girl and she responds fantastically because the engine I mean, a GT466 engine is just fantastic. So we've taken this 37-foot monster, four-wheeling up big, you know, country uh, mountain roads through Georgia, through Northern California. So we we test her pretty hard to where towing in general would be ill-advised. But yeah, when we we were traveling around, and when we do travel around for kind of month-long trips, we only take the bus. And so that takes a lot of uh, planning ahead when we're getting into a city. 
we'll let our people know on Instagram, hey, we're pulling into this city and we'll get a lot of recommendations. You should go to this chocolate shop. You should go to this coffee shop. You should go here. And I'll look on Google Maps first. If there's good parking around there, if there's a Lowe's nearby, we could park at and then walk for a mile or two. Otherwise, there are some times where I look and I go, you know, there's lots of good coffee shops all over the United States. And I don't think we have to go to this. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be difficult. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Tiny House Engage. Tiny House Engage members are also able to listen live as I record these podcasts and interviews and ask questions of our guests. So if you're a big fan of the show, it's a great way to get an inside look at the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast and get access to episodes weeks or even months before they go live on the feed. To learn more and register for Tiny House Engage, go to thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Registration is open today, Friday, March 6th, and it'll be open through next Friday or when we get 20 new members, whichever comes first. I can't wait to meet you in Tiny House Engage, and I know you'll love your new Tiny House community. So in terms of, of parking, and when I say parking, I mean parking so you can like sleep there. Have you, have you had any trouble? I mean, have you gotten like kicked out of people's backyards because of complaints or, or anything like that? Oh, sure. So uh, we're, we're not naive and uh, we're, we're not van lifers. So we can't necessarily roll up into a neighborhood and stealth camp. We did, we simply attract, it would be easier to do that in the, even in a big RV than it is in a big school bus. We simply attract too much attention. So we take the opposite approach. We'll pull up into a neighborhood and we'll just start knocking on doors. Hey, hey, good to meet you. Look, we're a lovely family. Uh, we've got dogs. We've got kids. Look, we're traveling around. We're doing this crazy thing. Check us out on Instagram. Um, if you don't mind, we're going to spend the night uh, parked outside here. Do you know any reason or uh, anyone that would call us? So we try to be really proactive about that. But uh, in the beginning, we weren't as wise. And so our first, our first night in this bus, we take off and we park in front of my wife's aunt's house. And we get there way later than we thought we were. We were supposed to get there for dinner. We didn't end up getting there to about one in the morning um, because my one-year-old son had definitely hidden the bus keys right as we were ready to take off. And had, we had to search for them for six to seven hours until a locksmith came and put uh, a new starter on the bus. It was, uh, yeah, welcome to bus life. So he, he didn't just hide them, he lost them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we... Uh, we, we get up there late at night. It's one in the morning. And at about six in the morning, you hear the knock. And you know it's the flashlight on. Oh, okay. So I get up. I silence our dog. And I peek out. I'm in my pajamas. And there's a police officer out there. And he kind of looks in and sees me in my pajamas. And you instantly see his demeanor drop to just, oh. I'm just dealing with idiots here. Okay. No, one, no one dangerous. <laughs> so I open up the door and uh, he doesn't say much. He just kind of looks at me and then he looks just kind of over my shoulder past me. And I turn around and what we had forgotten was my wife's aunt lived right next to an elementary school. So he looks back at me and he, and when I turn around, he looks and just says, 
you just can't park in front of an elementary school. You got it? <laughs> That's really funny. But, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So we've we've had we've had plenty of run-ins with police. It stuff started to change for us when we did uh we did a paint job on the outside using a lot softer colors. We also put our Instagram cues kind of all over the bus. And since then, we've had almost no trouble parking anywhere we want because it just answers a lot of questions. People see that, see it and they check you out and they, they realize you're not like a crime cartel here to like case the neighborhood or... or Correct. Because yeah. it used to be sketchy. We were a darker shade of green, like a, almost like a prison bus green. But we had a trailer out back with a bunch of little kids' bikes on it. So it just looks sketchy. So we did a full kind of redo on the outside, and that helped a lot. That's, that's a great tip. It's something that you wouldn't know until you did it. Yep. It was a forest ranger that would not let us stay at a park in Northern California until I went in and just talked with him for a while. And then he came out to check the bus and he gave us the feedback of, wow, your inside looks so much nicer than the outside. And we thought, you know, that's something we can change. Right. We can make this, make the first impression a little bit more positive. Exactly. And that helps with parking. And again, we're just really proactive. We put on the hunky-dory. We're a family. Uh, We're a bit clueless about where to park in Bend, Oregon. Can we park in your neighborhood for a while? And it's a great way to make friends, too. Yeah. So I want to ask about, like, personal personal time and space. Sure. Now, you seem like the most idyllic family. Like, everyone's super happy in the bus. But I'm sure that, that everybody likes to have their own time and space, especially, you know, a kid who's getting, you know, seven, nine, like that's about the time where you're really like, I can, I want to do stuff myself. Um, how do you, how do you navigate that? So each kid has their own bunk. Each kid has their own space for their own toys, for their own interests, for their own books. Um, that's frankly where timeouts happen when that needs to happen. Um, we also use a lot of outside. So we'll, uh, you know, if one if a kid needs some space for a bit because they just need to blow off steam, we'll either give them a project to do outside or we'll go outside, have a picnic or whatever, read as a family and um, let the kid have some space in here for a bit. For us, it was mandatory for us to have a door leading to our bedroom just so that we can have the kids in their bunks. We shut their sliding doors. We come back here. We can watch Netflix. We can just relax and talk during the day or talk about the day. So we we actually, we try to do a pretty good job of navigating privacy. You know, we have introverts. We have extroverts. We have hothead extroverts that need need less stimulus. We've got the whole gamut of personalities here. And uh, it may seem idyllic. It oftentimes is a little crazy making, but uh, we do a pretty good job of trying to assess and asking what each kid needs and making sure that they get it. Nice. And what about, what about your work? Are you able to work from the bus or do you like go to a co-working space? 
So I rarely work from the bus. The idea was I could work from the bus and help with homeschooling kids, et cetera. The reality is if I'm doing that, I'm just doing both things poorly. It's much better for me to chunk out my day to focus on work. And if we're traveling around, that's at a picnic bench. I've got a, a TV tray and folding chair that I'll take out and plug into the outside of the bus wherever that needs to be. So uh, work is more productive when I'm away from the bus, but chunking up my time in a way where I can then come back and be fully focused on helping to homeschool, helping to kind of do parent intervention if needed, uh, or even just breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Nice. Now you you mentioned earlier that you you work for clients directly. So are you do you mm-hmm. kind of do this freelance? Uh, so I'm I'm a professionally I'm a financial planner and investment manager, and so I have a book of clients that I work with, and uh, and it's just it's a direct relationship. That and do they do they know that you live in a bus? Almost all of them do. Nice. And it, was that yeah. something that you had to kind of like be like, listen, I choose to live in a bus, but like, yes. you're not going to have to live in a bus after I after I manage your finances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm 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 a big believer that uh, uh, your finances should help support the lifestyle that you want, not your life support the financial style that you want. And so I just use our uh, alternative way of living as an example of that. Nice. So I'm sure they they think it's kind of cool. Yeah. Nice. Now you also are a a course creator, so you've you've kind of bridged the gap between your your quote unquote real job and now you're kind of teaching others about this lifestyle. Um, what mm-hmm. what are your courses? You know, give me give me the rundown. So that's a lot of that's been through my wife's Instagram. She runs our Instagram, Contented Nomads. And we've got uh, a devoted little following, um, super high engagement. Uh, my wife is really transparent on her Instagram account. And so you don't see a lot of pictures of us modeling on the beach. We're, we're pretty transparent with it. And so through that, we just started asking our audience, like, what, what do you want to hear more about? And so Robin has a book, um, How to Travel Full-Time as a Family. And she goes into a lot of the strategies that we've developed or, or, or frankly, uh, put together and borrowed from talking with other families just to be a resource for everything from clothing to homeschooling to handling alone time versus quiet time, um, setting up seasons and rhythms through the bus and family life. Uh, we also heard a lot of questions about financially, how do you do this from the road? Now, I don't talk about investments or any actually of my work at all there, but we go through, okay, how do you set up a budget if you want to live tiny versus live tiny and travel? Those are two very different things. I always say there's, it's, it's, a, it's a triangle where two of the ends don't touch. So you can live cheap and you can live tiny you can live tiny and you can travel it's really hard to travel full-time 
and live cheap. A few people have pulled that off. Uh, Artisan Van Josh, he does. That's kind of his shtick. He's pretty good about that. We have found it to be much more challenging. So the next question a lot of people ask is, how do I create an income from the road? And so we have, of course, money, uh, money from the road 101. And it goes over paying off debt, setting up a budget, building kind of a financial castle, and uh, 11 to 12 different strategies and ways that we have made money from the road. Great. And I'm sure there's like, do you ever do things from the road that rather than earn you income, just save you money, like getting free parking or, you know? Maybe do you, do you have any other examples or ways that you save money from the road besides free parking? Oh, sure. So fr- uh, friendships, you know, when we pull into a place, we make a splash. So we own it. So we come out when we'll park in the city center and just start chatting up to everybody, kind of who we are, what we do. And the invitations that we get from that are fantastic. We've floated down a river in Bend, um, stayed with some new friends, uh, had uh, you know, had uh, a lot of group dinners. Um, so wherever we go, we're oftentimes either through our Instagram friends or through new friends that we make on the road or visiting old friends. Besides free parking, we're getting free utilities, um, uh, lots of group dinners and group meals that go a long way. Um, so different stuff like that starts to really help cut down the cost. And as we have had repeated friendships with different groups of people, that's when you get introductions to, hey, you know, I've got this mechanic. He saw what you did. He you know, he sees what you're doing through Instagram. He'd love to do some free work on the bus. Um, or a gentleman that helped us build our bunks. He saw we were on HGTV's Tiny House Hunters. He's a friend of my mom's. He's a carpenter. And he said, hey, if they ever roll through uh, this city in Arizona here, I'd love to do some work on their bus. We got a ton of free work done. I helped with it. And it was a good learning experience for me. But, uh, you know, all of that helps reduce. So I would say the biggest, like, the biggest way to travel cheaply from the road comes down to relationships. Very, very good advice. And that's mm-hmm. like, that's something that runs through the tiny house movement in general, whether it's tiny houses or buses or vans that when you do reduce the amount of space and things you have, it, it kind of automatically makes you need community and makes you need other people mm-hmm. in a positive way, I think, um, because it really helps connect you to people around you because you, you have to work together. You have to have relationships to get the things that you need. Or, or at least it should. I mean, uh, I've, my brother-in-law has a saying that poverty is broken relationships. Like you cannot have money, but have plenty of relationships where you're going to be okay. But broken relationships, that's, that's true poverty. And so, yeah, one of, as you said, one of the benefits of this lifestyle is it can and should force you to recognize the community that's there. And with the online world now, doing something exactly like this, working through Instagram, there's no excuse not to be, uh, if there's meetups, go to meetups. Like here in San Diego, they're on February 29th and March 1st, there's going to be a tiny house fest at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Um, 
we're going to be exhibitors there. We don't need to be exhibitors there, but it's those are the best ways to build ongoing relationship. Yeah, absolutely. We get to see all of our friends. That's right. So do you um do you have friendships and relationships with other schooly families and mm-hmm. do you try to, you know, do you travel to see one another? Do you go to the kind of the the meetups? Yeah, so some we we meet at meetups only. Um there's a group out in Albuquerque. A couple of school bus families out there and um we uh, particularly because all of our families in the Southwest, the way to get to pretty much the rest of the United States is through Albuquerque at some point. And so over the years, we went back and forth through there a lot. And we try to make it a habit now to see each other at least once every six months. Our families, our friend families together now, they've come out to California. Uh, we've made trips out there just to go see them. So there's been... That's that's definitely a relationship that's that's taken off and exceeds just the tiny house community. Nice. Do you have any any big trips coming up planned? Yeah. So this spring here, we're going to be um, going up to Wyoming and Idaho. Uh, so we'll be going up through Nevada. We might pop up that way, come down through Montana, and then down through Colorado. Uh, my sister lives in Colorado. Again, that would take us through Albuquerque. So that's not the worst thing. So going from San Diego up to probably at the top of Idaho, and then we'll kind of see how we make our way back down. So in the spring, it could still be pretty chilly in those places. How how yeah. heatable is the bus? Not at all. If we're not, <laughs> it's, I'm not going to lie, man. It's cold, 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 cold. When we're driving, if it's cold outside, it's really cold in Last year, we drove out to Tennessee in January because we had some friends uh, that just had a baby and we were godparents for the baby. So we drove out there and that was just about the coldest we've ever been in our lives. When we can plug in, we've got plenty of space heaters um, and that heats up pretty quickly. But when we're driving, it's cold. So our driving strategy is if it's during the winter, we drive during the day and we park. If it's during the summer, we park and run our AC uh, during, the e- during the day and we'll travel in the early morning and the evening. So we just adjust the way that we travel. And does the AC, is that some, that's something that can run off of the engine? It can. Um, it's, it's a pretty big drop. Well, okay. So like, I'm guessing, like, I'm asking kind of if you are parked somewhere for the night, you're on the road and it's a hot place. Like, are you able to keep the bus cool? We will run fans. So if it's hot, we'll, we will, we'll run the generator for a bit to run the AC to cool everything down. And we'll open up all the windows, open up the fans. And that keeps us cool. Nice. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, I'll tell you, my tolerance for heat and my tolerance for cold have increased on both sides. So what used to be a fairly narrow band of tolerance has increased on both sides. I'm sure it's all about what you get yeah. used to. Because these single pane windows, uh, they're 20, 
23 years old. They only do so much. I could take them all out, but that's just 15,000 that I don't want to put towards that project. Right. You'd rather put it towards the next bus, I suppose. (laughs) I have other goals. Yes. Nice. Well, one thing that I like to ask all my guests is what are two or three resources that you would like to recommend to our listeners who, you know, maybe these are things that helped you out when you were doing this conversion or planning Mm -hmm. this lifestyle Mm -hmm. and, you know, that you'd like to share. So the first would be go to meetups, Um, whether it's a tiny house fest or uh, you catch wind of a schoolie palooza out in the Arizona desert or a schoolie swarm in Florida or, or a, a van life meetup, you know, get, get on those message boards, get on those Facebook boards, go to the meetups, talk with people, see what you want to see. Cause an idea might make sense in your head. And then you go and you see a van, you go, Ooh, it's a lot less space than I thought. Makes sense on the drawing. They would be actually fairly cluttered. Um, so I would go to as many meetups as is possible. That's resource number one. Resource number two would be kind of those online forums for the schoolie world, schoolie.net or schoolie nation on Facebook. A lot of activity, very active groups. Um, you can ask a ton of questions. And uh, what I like about the Facebook groups is they're highly searchable. So the search function in Facebook groups is great. So before you can ask a question, go through and search if there have been whole threads done already on it already. And um, number three, go to our website, check out our courses. No, um, although those would be helpful. Uh, the third resource would be your favorite people that you're following on Instagram where you think, boy, you know, this is something I'd want to get into. Reach out to them. Ask them your question. Hop on a Zoom call with them. There's nothing like hearing it straight from the person. It, you know, it's what, what we did was, you know, first of all, the whole Instagram thing wasn't too huge like four years ago as far as the community. It's pretty much Midwest, uh, Midwest Wanderers and um, at Navigation Nowhere. They were like, Kind of the only people out. It's blown up since. But uh, what, what we tried to do was we kind of saw what they did and then we just tried to kind of copy it on our own. And there's some things we got and there's some things that we missed. And it would have saved a lot of time and heartache um, just talking to the people who are doing the lifestyle that you want and going through the obstacles that they face. So I would say reach out through DMs on Instagram, Schoolie Nation Facebook board, or the equivalent for Van Life. Um, the Van Life app community is very cool. They're they're creating some really cool stuff, and they're really tied into the Van Life group. We're we're good buddies with them. Um, and then uh, go to meetups. Awesome. Actually, see a school bus. Actually, see a tiny house. Actually, see and step into a van. Rob Shannon, thank you so much. That's great advice. And it's been really awesome having you on the show. Ethan, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you so much to Rob Shannon for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including links to Rob's family online, photos of their schoolie, and more at thetinyhouse.net slash 101. 
Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 101. Also, don't forget to check out Tiny House Engage, my exclusive online tiny house community. You can learn more and register for access at thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash engage. If you enjoy the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast and want to do something to help, go to ratethispodcast.com slash THLP, where you'll be directed to write a review for the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast on the platform of your choice. Reviews really help us find new listeners, which in turn helps me grow the show. So again, leave us a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash THLP. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.